Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us this Mother's Day and this Lord's Day. Now, as so often happens, the Lord has providentially brought us to a passage in Galatians that speaks directly to motherhood. I wish I could claim that I purposefully divided up the text to make it land on this text this morning, but it wasn't until last week that I realized what was about to happen. And so we're thankful for the Lord's providence as we continue our study of the book of Galatians with Galatians 4. Verse 21 through Galatians 5, 1, trusting that his word has something of weight and importance of eternal value to teach us this morning. Now, as we have continually seen, Paul is seeking to protect the Galatians from a false teaching. He's seeking to show them that to add anything to the gospel is to deny the gospel of its power. That is to say, to require adherence to the law as a means of salvation is to rob Christ of his saving power. Just as Paul said earlier in chapter 2, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. A large part of Paul's argument has been connected to the promise made to Abraham and the connection that has to the promise of the gospel. He has spent much time explaining that it is only those who receive the promise of the gospel in faith who are true sons of Abraham. It is only those who have received the Spirit of Christ who are the true heirs of the covenant promise. From Paul's continual reference to Abraham, we can deduce that the false teachers were using Abraham as a central part of their argument. It might have gone something along these lines. The promise was made to Abraham and his children. All of Abraham's children were called to be circumcised. Therefore, if you truly want to be included in the family of God, then you must submit to circumcision and to the laws that were given to us as the family of Abraham. Now, again, Paul has shown why this line of thought is false. He has shown that the spirit is the true sign of our membership in the family of God. But in our passage for this morning, he takes another angle, a different tactic. He finds another way to undermine this false teaching about Abraham's family. The false teachers want to claim that they are sons of Abraham in the flesh. Paul says, fine, Abraham is your father. But who is your mother? A few weeks ago, we spoke of the powerful influence that a father has on a child's life. And today we couple that with the truth that our mother's influence is just as powerful As one man once wrote of a mother's influence, when the real history of mankind is fully disclosed, will it feature the echoes of gunfire or the shaping sound of lullabies? The great armistice made by military men or the peacemaking of women in homes and in neighborhoods? Will what happened in cradles and kitchens prove to be more controlling than what happened in Congresses. When the surf of the centuries has made the great pyramids so much sand, the family will still be standing because it is a heavenly institution formed by God Himself. Who is your mother? Take a moment to consider this question. To remember 
the influence and the power that a mother has on a line. You see, our mothers are of much importance. However, Paul is not saying that our earthly mothers will determine our standing with God. Rather, he is arguing that our spiritual heritage is what matters most. For as much as your mother nurtured and guided you towards the person that you would become, your spiritual heritage will nurture and guide you with eternal consequences. Who is your mother, Paul asks. And the answer that every Christian can give is that I am a son of Abraham and of Sarah. A son of promise and of freedom. So hear now the word of the Lord. Galatians chapter 4 beginning in verse 21. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also is it now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to You this morning and we do pray that You would, according to Your grace and kindness in us in Christ Jesus, send forth Your Spirit that our eyes may see and our ears may hear the truth of Your Gospel. And we pray, Lord, in this text that may seem confusing at first glance, that we might have clarity and we might understand and that we might walk according to the promise and not the flesh. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. As we make our way through the passage this morning, the first thing that we need to understand and the first thing that we need to know to answer the question of our spiritual mother is the history of Abraham's family, the history of Abraham's family. And we find that in verses 21 through 23. Look down again at those verses. Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law. 
do you not listen to the law? Okay, he's addressing these false teachers. They want to be under the law. And he says, okay, let's look at the law. Let's look at what the word of God says. If you really, truly want to be under the law, let's look at what it says. Four, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, if you read the history of Abraham's family in the Genesis narrative, you will see that following the promise that Abraham would be a father of a great nation, he and his wife Sarah became impatient with this promise. They were both well past the age of having children. Sarah had gone through menopause and Abraham was called as good as dead in the book of Romans in relation to fathering children, right? There seemed to be no hope of God's promise coming true. So after years of waiting, they started getting creative. They began to think along the lines of, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And so they hatched up a plan that Sarah would give Abraham her maidservant, Hagar, to act as a surrogate mother so that they could bring about God's promise according to their own power. And wouldn't you know, Abraham fathered a child by Hagar and they named him Ishmael. And they said, we did it. We fulfilled God's promise to us. However, This was not the promise that God had made. They sought to provide for the promise of a son by their own works and human power. Abraham had a son, but it was not a son according to God's miraculous power. Rather, it was a son of fleshly power. But God had promised a miracle. A child born not of an abused slave, but of a free woman. And so... After a continued period of waiting, the Lord finally fulfilled his promise and Abraham bore a son through his wife, Sarah, and they named him Isaac. This son was not born according to the power of the flesh. And this is why the Lord made Abraham and Sarah wait so long so that for thousands of years, people would know that Isaac was born according to God's miraculous promise and not according to a mere biological fluke. Sarah was 90. Abraham was more than 100 years old. This was a miracle born out of God's promise to Isaac's mother. This is the history of Abraham's family. One son was born out of an ill-conceived plan that doubted God's promise, worked according to the flesh, and led to the abuse of a slave woman and her son. Since his mother was a slave, so too was Ishmael. The other son was born out of God's promise to Sarah, a miracle. He was the heir of God's promise and a free man. From Abraham was born Isaac, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons from whom the whole nation of Israel came forth, including the line of Judah and from Judah, the line of David and from David, the kings of God's people and eventually Through another miraculous birth, this time through a virgin, was born Jesus the Messiah. Who is your mother? Paul asked. For if your mother is Hagar, you are a slave. But if Sarah 
a free man in the family of God. Now, for any of this history to make sense, for what Paul is arguing here in the book of Galatians, there needs to be a bit of interpretation. That is, we need to continue Paul's line of thought because he's developing an illustrative point from Abraham's history rather than asking the Galatians to trace their actual physical heritage. For physical heritage does not count towards salvation, but only the promise. And so Paul constructs his illustration of spiritual motherhood based upon a historical reality. Look down at verses 24 through 28. He says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. That is, this historical reality, what happened in the life of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, this historical reality can be understood in an illustrative way. He says, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written. Now, he he, he, uh, is quoting from the book of Isaiah. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, speaking to the Galatians, you are children of promise. Paul draws out pairs to illustrate his point. Okay, In Abraham's family, there are two mothers. And these two mothers can be thought of as two different covenants. One is the old covenant of law that was given on Mount Sinai in Arabia through Moses. And the spiritual children of this mother are those who are currently based in Jerusalem, who are held in bondage to the law, who are seeking salvation by works of the flesh. These are the false teachers. These are the Judaizers. Paul is saying that the spiritual heritage of Hagar is now manifested in these false teachers who are trying to bring you into slavery to the law. The other is the new covenant of grace that was sealed at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the children of this covenant are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, and they are free. You see, one is under the law, that is Hagar, a slave. The other is under grace in Christ. Their mother is Sarah, and they are free. The concept of the mother has been closely associated with cities and their cultural economy. We rather unthinkingly refer to cities and countries in the feminine when we speak of them in a poetic manner. So in the song, God Bless America, we sing, God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above, right? We refer to our country as feminine. This association between nation or city and mother comes out even more clearly in other cultures such as a Russian referring to his country as Mother Russia. Or as the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 51, For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving in the voice of song. 
Consequently, Paul is pulling on all of these associations between mother, covenant, and people to make the point that there are two means of existing before God. One means is associated with the flesh, law, slavery, and death. And this means of existence can be summarized and conceptualized as Hagar the slave. To submit to the laws to exist within that city, that country. To be of that mother. To be bound to earthly Jerusalem. Conversely, those who are in Christ are associated with the Spirit, faith, freedom, and life. They exist within heavenly Jerusalem. Their citizenship is above. And they are conceptualized as the children of Sarah because they are born not of the flesh, but of promise. That is to say, Sarah was the barren one spoken of in verse 27. And by the power of the Lord, she has now borne many children, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Paul's point is not to say that Historically, Hagar was bad and Sarah was good. Nor that the children descended from Hagar are now slaves and the children descended from Sarah are now free. Again, he's using a historical narrative to make a larger spiritual point. If you believe that you are in Abraham's family by adherence to the law, then you are like the children of Hagar. Slaves without a promised inheritance. But if you are in Abraham's family by faith in Christ, then you are like the children of Sarah, born by the power of God unto freedom and eternal inheritance of life. So where is your citizenship, Paul asks? Is it the earthly Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem? Are you under the law? Are you under grace? Are you a slave or are you free? Who is your mother? Is it Hagar or is it Sarah? And we have learned the history of Abraham's family. We've heard the interpretation of Abraham's history. And now Paul urges all those who have faith in Christ to apply the lessons of Abraham's history. Look down at verses 29 into chapter 5, verse 1. See how this is applied. He says, But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, So also is it now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So how do we apply this teaching? Well, the first point of application is that the sons of the Spirit must expect persecution from the sons of the flesh. And we must push on through that. That is to say, those who have been born in Christ should expect persecution from those who have not. And this persecution will particularly come from those who see themselves as righteous. Or to put it another way... The self-righteous will persecute those who find their righteousness in Christ alone. The persecution will come from those who believe that they are only requiring what is good and righteous and true. And we need to be prepared to push on through the persecution 
that comes from the self-righteous. For we are ignorant if we believe that the only threat to the church comes from outside. It comes also from within. There are wolves in sheep's clothing within the body of Christ. It will come from those who claim to be sons of Abraham, who will begin to require belief in all manner of man-made theories and delusions. That is what is exactly what is happening in the book of Galatians. And what has happened throughout history. How many cults have been formed from within the church? How many false forms of worship and idolatry have spread through the body and been required? How many political dogmas have ravaged the house of the Lord? Beware the, quote, Christian who comes proclaiming anything but Christ and Him crucified as the path to righteousness in life. Because when you reject His form of righteous conspiracies to save the world, He will be none too pleased with you. Martin Luther, commenting on this verse, said, If someone does not want to endure persecution from Ishmael, let him not claim that he is a Christian. You see, it is from those who claim to be of Christ that there will be persecution against those who seek to obey and submit to Christ alone. And therefore, we must push on. Even as we find conflict within the body of Christ, If we would be born of the free woman, we cannot submit to the law. The second point of application is that the sons of the Spirit must cast out the slave. Building again on the image of Abraham's history, Paul says that we must cast out those who would seek to bind our freedom in Christ. To the Galatians, the direct application meant that they were to have nothing to do with these false teachers, right? Drive them out of the church. Those who come proclaiming that you must submit to circumcision and the law and obey the Old Testament uh, calendar, they need to be cast out of the church because they are a cancer that are drawing people away from salvation in Christ. Now, in our day, that's why we have a session at Rivermont That seeks to oversee the ministry and the teaching of our body. This is why we approve books that are taught in Sunday school classes and curriculum that's used. Not because we want to be overly controlling, but rather because as shepherds of the sheep, we've been charged to cast out anything that proclaims a false gospel. And I would encourage this same word to you as well as individuals. It is no secret that the heightened anxiety Tension, anger, and fear. The -the off-the-wall conspiracy theories and the hate-filled rhetoric are coming from our overconsumption of media and particularly social media. We are filled with righteous indignation against our brothers in Christ because we are not willing to cast out that which is contrary to the gospel or that which is in addition to the gospel as a means of righteousness. We give our minds and our hearts over to false prophets and the charlatans that come on Facebook or YouTube. And we begin to believe that what they are proclaiming is just as important as the gospel itself. And it drives a wedge between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Teenagers and college age students, I would ask you to pay particular attention to this as well. For your perception of reality 
is going to be shaped by what you put in front of your face. What you associate with. And the internet is filled with vain philosophies that will claim righteousness. But if the message is not rooted in the gospel, then its righteousness that it proclaims is merely slavery. And therefore we must cast it out of our lives. Now I'm not saying that you can't use the internet. I'm not saying that it's only filled with means of slavery, but it is filled with many means of slavery. And if you find yourself submitting to any other righteousness but that which is in Christ, you need to cast it out. And you need to seek to plant your mind in the Word of God and its promises alone. Third, Paul teaches that we must stand firm. We must stand firm. That is, we must hold our ground. It has been sad to see so many brothers and sisters give themselves over to the righteousness of the world over the past year. The pressures of the pandemic and the subsequent political and cultural turmoil has led many down false paths and they have not stood firm. They have wavered. They've wandered after false hopes. The pressure to follow something other than the gospel as the means of life has become too great and they have given in. Over and over this year, I have called you to focus your attention on the gospel because there are so many distractions, so many things that are calling you to look over here or to look over here as the means of salvation, as the means of going forward in a time of hardship. But the only means of life, whether we are in a pandemic or not, whether we are in a time of peace or we are in a time of turmoil, the only way forward is in Christ. So stand firm. And do not be distracted. For the enemy ever seeks to take ground. But if you stand firm, the enemy will flee. And fourth, we must live in freedom. We must live free. Again, Paul says in 5.1, For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has set us free from these things. He has set us free from sin, not through the law, but through the cleansing power of His blood and the quickening power of His Spirit. We no longer must give in to sin. We must no longer have the chains that bind us. Paul, later on in chapter 5, lists out all of these sins that we have been freed from. He says, you've been freed from sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We have been set free. We must no longer submit to them. Those who are born of Sarah... The free woman are free from sinful things. And we are also free from pursuing our righteousness through submission and obedience to the world's schemes of salvation. We need not fear the mobs that demand our submission and allegiance for our righteousness comes through Christ alone. So do not give in. Do not submit yourself again, but live free. That's the application. Push on through persecution. Cast out 
Stand firm and live free. It was beach day for Rihanna and Hull and her six-year-old son, Julian. They had recently moved down to Costa Rica to begin a kindergarten that was directed towards poor children in this Central American country. But on this day, Rihanna and Julian were enjoying the beach. Now, the tide was very low and the tidal fluctuation was high, which translates into a horrible riptide. As they stepped off the sandy ledge into the surf, they were pulled out to sea. No one was with them on the beach, and so no one saw them as they drifted further and further away. Rihanna had been an athlete all of her life. She had run in college, and after college, she continued to pursue fitness as an adult. And this day, she would be faced with the hardest endurance challenge of her life, keeping her son alive. When two young surfers spotted Rihanna and her son, she had already been fighting for more than a half an hour, holding her son above her head as she tread water with her legs only. As the surfers hurried to reach mother and son, they wondered at her strength to stay above the water in such a strong undercurrent. With her arms weakening every moment, her lungs burning, her legs at the point of complete exhaustion, she continued to fight to save her son. And when help finally arrived, Rihanna used the last of her strength to thrust her son up onto the surfboard that would be his salvation. And then she was swept away. She fought and she fought and she fought and ultimately she gave her life that her son might live. And this love of a mother is reflective of Christ's love for His people. For He went to the cross And He endured the full punishment for the sin of His people. He poured out His blood to cleanse us of our sin. He went to the grave that we might be freed from death. And He rose again that we might receive life and live in freedom. And what Paul is saying to the Galatians and what the Spirit is saying to us today is why are you going back to the yoke of slavery? Why are you returning to the law which led to death when Christ died to set you free from it? Why are you giving to all these schemes and laws. It's as if you are this young Julian, the son of Rihanna, after his mother gave his her life for him to save him. He goes back into the water. No, it would be like if he ignored the undertow and again submitted himself to the power of the waves. Why would you do that? Why would you go back to the very thing that was causing your death and your bondage? You have been saved from the law. You've been saved from all of these schemes of righteousness which lead nowhere but to death. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ gave His life for yours. So do not return to the waters of legalism and slavery. But remember, you are a son of Abraham by Sarah. You are free Free from the law. Free from sin. Free from guilt. Free from death. And so this Mother's Day, you need to ask yourself, who is my mother? How am I living? Is my mother Hagar? Do I live in slavery? Do I continue to go back to the schemes of men 
for my hope? Or is my mother Sarah, the free woman? Do I live free from the law, free from sin, alive in Christ? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you and we confess that so often we do seek to return to the yoke of slavery. We continue to, despite the fact of what Christ has done for us, look to the schemes of men, to the law, to find righteousness before you and particularly before one another. Help us, O God, to live in the reality of who we truly are in Christ. To live as those who have been freed. And we pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.